Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, profiles, and interviews of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my hostess with the mostest, my beautiful wife. Her name is... Just Jen. And bonus... His beautiful son. Yes. (laughs) I've got my son along with me. His name is... Just Gavin? <laughs> Who are you? Just Gavin. Just, Who am I? Yeah. That's a great question. I Every day I'm trying to figure it out. I call you Gavdav. Gavdav? Yeah. I like that. I think I think, I think think you guys were on two different you, levels there. Yeah. You're talking about his name. He's talking about his purpose. Oh, I'm big picture. He, he's very deep. You he know, is. He's, he's going deep. I'm he's, just like, he's, he's a deep young you? man. He's, he's G-Money. He's G-Thing. He's Gavdav. He's G-Dog. Well, we're just happy a, to- G with any- He's, word. <laughs> he's my sweet, sweet baby with the most perfect smile. Uh-huh. We're just happy to have him here. Oh. He's our first guest host edition. I know. Rolling along with us on the Hope Set Radio podcast. Yeah. You are. Like it, everything is going to now come up to the Gavin standard. It's nice to look at somebody new. What? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't, I have mixed feelings about that. Well, because we can make faces while you're talking. What? <laughs> Why do you make faces? We we were we can write secret notes. Yeah, you could. You guys could pass notes to each other. Yeah, that wouldn't be distracting. Well, because you have to like run the show. Like that's what? that's your job. You run the show, and I thought and you were supposed to run the show. Nah, I nominate Gavin. Well, it's like you're driving a car, right? You got to keep your eyes on the road. Yeah, but we're in the back seat. You know, we I'm the play. driver. Well, I, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the backseat texting on the phone. Yeah, we're, we're playing, we're I'm playing patty st- cake. I, yeah, I'm on yeah. Amazon shopping. Yeah. yeah, you're being the backseat driver. That's that's what you're doing. Only when you do that weird thing with your head when I know you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. What? Yeah, that little little quirk don't, you got. Don't there. tell my secrets. I already did last week. Oh, <laughs> now I got no secrets left. Nope. I don't know about you guys, but it's hot. It's hot in here. It is hot in Cali right now. We are heading into a week where it's 108 degrees on Tuesday. Yeah. 109. Pray it's for be us. hot. Yes. Pray for us. Okay, everyone listening, instead of being upset that it's hot, I want you guys to just feel the warmth on your skin and appreciate the sun and appreciate its beauty and let that improve your day rather than <laughs> looking at it as a point of, oh, woe is me, it's hot. <laughs> Well, okay. Right. That I, is oh, Gavin in a nutshell. That is what right. I offer to that this podcast is, is pure positivity. Awesome. I am going to remind Gavin of that on Saturday when we are running a half marathon. Bring it so. on. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> While I'm like complaining and whining, I don't want to hear anyone else whining. Not Jen, you. Jen don't like the heat. She don't like hills. I'm a cat. And we're going to have heat and hills. Yeah. I'm, I'm a cat. I just want to lay down in the heat and take a nap with snacks. What kind of snacks? Um, I don't know. Snacks. <laughs> Scooby snacks? I, I, yeah, Scooby snacks. I don't judge snacks. I like all snacks. You're you're an all snack mm-hmm. connoisseur. You yeah. like calories. I like yeah. calories. <laughs> yeah, I do love calories. What's your favorite food? Oh, calories. Calories. Yeah, calories. All of them. All of them. Every single one. You want every single one. Yeah. I mean, I love calories so much that I have a silicone um, tiny spoon. So I never, ever miss out on any of the calories. Like if I'm scooping peanut butter and I get like a quarter of a cup peanut butter, that's a lot. But I get every little ounce with that silicone spoon. 
Wow. I love calories. I'm just not that much of a foodie. I know. You know what I do? What? What? I lick my plate. <laughs> I can't be bothered with these silicone spoons. I'm too much of a minimalist. Well, I try hey, to keep it a little classy. It's an amazing tool. Yes. Absolutely. I try to keep it a little classy. All right. You know. I respect that. <laughs> All right. You ready to tell your joke, Jennifer? It's joke time. Oh, so I'm going to tell my joke first? Yes. You okay. can go first. I'll go second. And then Gav Dav will go last. I okay. I don't think he will, but. He will. We'll He'll definitely go last. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, you I'm ready? ready. What's better than a good friend? What is better than a good friend? Knowing you, it'd be a good meal. A good friend with chocolate. Oh. I have gotten good at. Yeah, guessing my, yeah. I have another one, though. You 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 can't do two. I, I like jokes. I Maybe a, you need to give one to Gavin, so no. he's got a joke. How fast is milk? I don't know. How fast is milk? It's pasteurized before you know it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, right? That one was funnier than the first one. I have another one. No. Okay. You can't do that. You can't. How do you make an apple turnover? This is my life. I can't tell her no. <laughs> she just does what she wants. What? You push it downhill. <laughs> we are just on a roll here. I just want to. Everyone is coming to the <laughs> Jen, just Jen comedy show. No, I just wanted three fake laughs and I got them. No, they weren't fake. I actually did have some volume to my laughter. No, it was actually, actually real. I saw you push the button and it no. laughed for you. Okay. I had some real ones. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, go. What did Kermit the Frog say at Jim Henson's funeral? <gasps> Where's Miss Piggy? Nothing. Can one of you Why? explain that joke to your 22-year-old son who See, doesn't Gavin? know who Jim Henson See? is? See, Gavin? Jim Henson was the voice of Kermit. He created Kermit. So what did Kermit say at his funeral? Well, nothing. Who's the voice now? Because Kermit's still alive. Oh, my gosh. I can't have jokes that have multiple outcomes. But there's still a Kermit. I know, but like you got to understand where it came from. Like If you know your Kermit history, obviously he wouldn't say nothing because he's not around to say nothing. Oh. <sighs> Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll move on from my joke. Gavin, you got one? I do have one. It's a banger. It's, Tell us you're funny. It's one of one, and you guys are going <laughs> to like it. Okay. What kind of exercise do lazy people do? None. I know, I know, I know. Something with French fries. Right? No, but now <laughs> Some... you're always bringing it back to food. Okay. <laughs> what kind of exercise do lazy people do? We don't know. What? French exercise. Diddly squats. <laughs> <laughs> Drop the mic. Drop the mic. There we go. And the winner is our guest host, Gavin. Let's he go. had the best Yay, joke Gav of Dab. the day. Told you one for one is all Woo. I needed. All well, right, you guys, you guys ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Because I've got an incredible interview lined up. We're going to talk to Charlie Lussman. Now, mm. interesting thing about Charlie. Mm -hmm. Charlie had cancer. He lost like half of his jaw on the upper side, like he's got a prosthetic mouth almost. Wow. But he goes around and he sings and he lifts up and he inspires and he gives hope to people that are battling cancer. At Like he's been, in 10 years, he's been at hundreds and hundreds of hospitals. Aww, that's actually really sweet. With I a singing that. mission. So yeah. we're going we're gonna to get him on the line okay. and we're going to talk to him. You guys ready? I'm ready. Ready. Let's get him on the line. Okay. I'm going to call him right now. All right. I'm on the line with Charlie Lussman. Charlie, welcome to the show. How are you today? 
I'm doing great, other than the fact they shot me up with Novocaine for a cavity. So if I sound like I'm speaking out of half a mouth, I'm speaking out of half a mouth. But I'm excited. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that. We've all yep. been in that experience where it doesn't feel like you got any feeling on one side of your face. And am I talking right? Am I not talking right? No, it's the drool. I'm drooling. Yeah. I know yeah. I'm drooling. Yeah, well, the, the eating is a problem. The cup of coffee that I tried to drink uh, did wonders for my for my hoodie that I was wearing. I can tell you that. Uh, well, I think you yeah. sound great. I we're, we're we're ready. We're excited, and uh, you know, actually, I showed both Gavin and Jen your video last night. We watched it. The link that you had sent me, and I think everyone's excited uh, to talk with you yeah. and uh, hear a little bit more oh, about your cool. story. So, yeah, we're yeah. We're excited. So I thought maybe where we could begin, just for those that don't know you and have not heard of you yet, is uh, maybe you can tell us what led up to this adventure. I know you battled cancer at some point in your life, and so maybe we can start there and then we can can expand from there. Well, we could go even further back because there's this parallel that I uh, didn't think it would ever happen, but it happened. My father's a Holocaust survivor, mm. okay? We're talking the Holocaust, like death camp, all that stuff. It's I mean, the 20th century. It doesn't get any more horrific. Mm. So my story really kind of starts there um, because my dad survived something so crazy like that, and, and I was born. Um, and I was born on the 20th anniversary of the end of World War II, which was May 8th, 1945. So that's kind of neat that I was born on May 8th. And uh, it's just something that's been in me, and I've always been curious about it. I always ask all those questions as a kid. I was lucky to grow up kind of in a very uh, safe environment. I mean, we lived in L.A. My father moved away from Europe and, and raised us in America because of what had happened to him. He wanted you know, you come to America and live live free, and that, that was, the, you know, the I think I've been very lucky for that move and uh, it's been a great life. And I've been a musician for most of my life. I've been playing uh, piano and guitar and, and writing songs since I was 12 years old. And it happened one day, really, uh, when my mother dropped us off at Dodger Stadium. I was 10 years old and Elton John, 1975 Golden, the Yellow Brick Road Tour. My mother, who was not hippie at all. I can't believe she dropped me and a friend off at Dodger Stadium with 50,000 people. <laughs> She's like, wow. meet me back here in two hours. I'm like, uh, okay, mom. And I walk into the stadium and it just turned my world upside down. Uh, Elton comes out in a glittering Dodger outfit and he's hitting tennis balls from standing on top of a grand piano. And then he sits down and he plays this song called Your Song. I think you've heard of it. It's mm-hmm. a little bit funny. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I mean, the entire stadium was hush quiet. Everybody with a lighter, you know, lit, light, those lighters. And I stood there watching this guy. And I'm thinking, I'm 10 years old. I'm like, that's what I want to do. You know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, just it's... that moment of the power of a simple song. It's a three-minute song. It's a beautiful song, but it's a song. Yeah. A man, a piano, a song, and it moves the world, you know? I so love that. That. Really that, that was the, that was a jump-off for me. I thought that, that's what I'm... And so, as the years progressed, I became obsessed with Elton John, of course, and, uh, and, and writing a great song. It was always just about writing a great song. 
So as the years went by and I, you know, went to college in, in Boston and did my four years at Berkeley College of Music and became a, a, I guess, a commercial composer. And I went to New York and I did that whole thing. And then I realized one day in the subway at two in the morning coming home from the village, I hear this woman playing guitar. I couldn't tell where it was coming from because it was a bunch of different tunnels. I walked down this tunnel and there is this lady. She looked pretty run down, down and out. She had a really beat up guitar. It was in perfect tune. And she was singing the most beautiful song about how she can't go home because her father had beat her. Mm. And she could never go home again. And she laid it out there raw and real. And I'm standing there like, I can't even believe that this woman is, she's got it. She's, she's doing it. She's just giving it. Raw and vulnerable. And here I am above the ground in New York writing jingles for Pampers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old were you, Charlie, like, at this time? Now I'm in my early 20s out of college in New York City. And I'm just like, she's doing it. And, and what am I doing with my life? You know, like, it was all about writing a great song. And here I am as a commercial writer and all these things. I quit. I quit. And, and I, I left and I moved to Europe for years and I played the streets. And I really honed myself in as truly a songwriter, a craftsman. And, and that now, you know, skip years later, I ended up coming back to L.A. And I wrote for ABC TV and got back into commercial so that I could make funding so I could do my art and travel all over the world. And I slept in the back of my car for 17,000 miles around North America, writing songs and, and singing in uh, coffee houses and you know, so my life has been very much like the hippie artist and the commercial guy. And but always there was this line, this strand of hope. All my music, I always twisted some kind of like, but it's going to be all right. Yeah. It's going to get better. Let me ask you there a question. Was always that line throughout. It. And, and, you know, that came from those early memories or knowing about what my father had gone through. That's what I wanted to ask you about. That's what I wanted to ask you about. So, so let's, let, let's unpack that a little further. And cause I want to understand that. So he survived the Holocaust and I'm sure you guys talked about it. Although I've heard stories that some people want to talk, some people don't like, it's just, it, it's the atrocities of war. It's the atrocities of the Holocaust. So how do you think that shaped you as, as a child? I mean, did, did he share with you? Did you understand what, what he had been through? And then how did that shape you moving forward? Well, he was open. He never would just share it. I, I would ask questions. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. This was the, uh, this was the 70s. They, in school, as a middle schooler, or I think I was even in fourth or fifth grade, they showed us the movies. I, I'm kind of shocked that they did when I look back now because, like, I have an 11 year old and I have not showed him bulldozers, bulldozing bodies, you know, into these huge pits in, in, at the end of the war. I mean, they showed it to us in school. So I was already kind of like, whoa, like, horrified by what happened. So I was very, like, wanting to know more and curious about it all with my dad. And he was, he was open about it, but, but to, a, to a certain point. Um, how that shaped me or formed me. I mean, again, I have to admit, I was kind of sheltered in a bubble and living in LA and, you know, I had a good life. My father, 
being a Holocaust survivor, many survivors were very successful in their later years because of what they had gone through, right? I mean, it kind of makes you pretty strong. If you can handle the Holocaust, you can pretty much do anything, right? Um, so I, I kind of didn't as much tap into it until more like when I went out away from the home and was on my own out in college. And even in college, I was still a little bit on the sheltered, me, myself, and I mentality. It's a lot of us younger teenagers and into our 20s, kind of like the, that whole thing. Um, but it was after, it was when I moved to Europe, and, and then being in Europe and then hearing of the stories, because I moved to Denmark. I lived in Copenhagen for years. And I would hear the stories about the Nazis were killing, you know, Jews. And they would, and the Danes would hide the Jews and send them across the Sound. That's the waterway between Sweden and Denmark. They'd send them across in like sailboats and things to, to get them over to Sweden, which was a neutral territory. So, it was then where I started to really go like, wow, we're kind of get back into that mentality. And in, and by thinking about and reading and learning more and everything, you start to feel this gratitude for the fact that I'm alive, yeah. that my father survived and here I am. And I would say that started to be more of an awareness in my mid-20s that led me to start to feel more gratitude and appreciation yeah. about life in general. Plus, I mean, I was playing the street and, and, you know, like I get calls from my mother, like, are you okay? What's going on out there in Europe and everything? I'm like, mom, I'm doing great. I play the streets for my living. You know, they throw money in my hat and I go and get lunch. I just, that I was connecting really to more of that route than the spoiled kid who lived in LA and had everything taken care of. So, you know, that's where. I started to become more aware and I started to read more about just different uh, philosophies and all these things in life that I was finally connecting. Well, I just wanted to say how unique of a perspective it is that when you were asked about your story, you started with your parents. I think everyone is, you know, trying to understand what the heck is going on in life and for you to kind of take that to uh, another level and, and really kind of delve into your history. I think that's really special and unique. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people could benefit from, uh, kind of understanding their parents more because that's, you know, yeah. who they are in, in essence. So I think that's a, that's a Thank good point. You. I appreciate that. I didn't even get to my other parent. I mean, my mother, <laughs> <laughs> they escaped, they escaped before, uh, they escaped Poland before, uh, before the Nazis invaded and they, and they went to Russia and then Stalin was, you know, killing everybody. And, uh, and then they escaped and went to Israel. My mother was in the revolution in 48. Okay, when the British and the, that whole thing. I mean, so my mother's <laughs> this is intense. Wow. So she grew up there, became a soldier, and you know, taught new recruits how to shoot Uzis. So wow, <laughs> what? I grew a, up with a pretty like a intense. Yeah. My mother and <laughs> my mother and father were pretty intense people. Okay, so yeah, how that molded me that did make me strong. Mm -hmm. That did give me like a certain amount of like power of. Well, of course, I had to survive my parents and, I mean, <laughs> their intensity. And that builds a strong constitution and everything. That also builds anger and lots of other things that I had to work through psychologically through the years to let go of and then accept that simple cliche that they did the best they could. Yeah. So you got to let go. I mean, I you, could, how I long you want to carry that with you, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, well, I, you're I, definitely... I, I, I just wanted to say. Yeah. I just wanted to say something about uh, 
you know, just hope in general, because I, obviously that's the theme of our show. And I know it's the theme of your present day initiative. And we'll get to that in, in, in a few minutes. But, you know, I, I can't think of any more of a hopeless situation mm-hmm. than to be in war, to be in an internment camp, to be in a camp where people are just dying all the time and slaughtered and mistreated and, you know, treated like garbage. Like, I, I just can't think. Like, yeah. can you imagine a more no. hopeless it's situation? When he's describing it, I'm thinking, like, this is a movie. Like, it doesn't seem yeah, we, well, real we can't, life. We, we have so the privilege of... to these atrocities because yeah. of movies. And yeah. we've had such a privileged existence living mm-hmm. in... You know, yeah, it sounds like a, a horrible movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does. And that's it really that's happened. the whole point. Like it, yeah. it happened. But like you can't you just can't relate. But hearing right. that story, you know, complaining yeah. about staying in, ha- in indoors for three months because of covid when you exactly. hear about that kind of stuff, exactly. like it just helps to put things into perspective. And mm-hmm. if you survive yeah. that, that's exactly <laughs> what Charlie's saying. If you survive that, the the, the person that you become forged mm-hmm. in that kind of an environment you're going to become an, an intense person. Like are, are we going to feel that way when we survive COVID? Yeah, I, well, <laughs> We're going to feel stronger. Well, well I, I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the well, whole country and world is. Yeah. Builds resi- resilience and, and it's definitely what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. In my case, I say, well, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you sing better. That's in my <laughs> mind. Um, but yeah, I, look, my father jumped out of the back of a truck when they took the children away and they take the children away from the ghettos in Poland and they right into the gas chambers. So my father jumped out of the back of the truck at night when they were driving these kids away and ran into the woods and hid for three days and then went back into the town. And I said to my father, what made you decide to jump out of the back of a truck, not knowing where you were going? He's like, I just wanted to be with back with my family. And that was where, that's where I've drawn my energy, like about family, about love, about connection between people. That's the bottom line. That's, that's what you, that's what it's all about, you know? So, you know, you're talking about hope and those kinds of things. I asked him, did you have hope? Did you have, you know, what were you, what did you think about? And he's like, hope, there was no thought of hope. It was just, I want to be back with my family, so I'm going to do whatever it takes to be with my family again. And that was his motivation. Because he would tell me, you know, the um, rabbis, they would drop to their knees and pray, and they were they were taken out immediately. And the Germans were just like, okay, you know. So he saw that and said, I've, I've got to fight for this. I can't just, you know, pray. I can't believe in some other thing. I've got to make this happen. And that's been a strand that's been in my life, my whole life. Like, you want to get something done? You want to make it happen? Get out there and make it happen. But I, going through cancer, my cancer experience, I kind of took a turn. I have to take a turn. I'm like, Dad, I get where you came from. That was your journey. That was your thing. But I'm sitting in a chemo chair now for 11 and a half months, okay? I just had my jaw sawed off about maxillectomy because I had a tumor on the left side of my jaw in 2006 and they had to saw off my jaw to save my life. Okay, here I am, I'm a singer. So they're telling me I was never sing again, never talk again, or never chew again. I'd be drinking out of a straw for the rest of my life. I said, look, I just want to sing again. I'm going to sing again. Now, 
see, that was the connection that like, I'm going to do this again. I don't care what anybody says. I'm jumping out of the back of the truck and I'm running back home to my family. Yeah. You, 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 that was the point you could relate to your dad. Like, like in that, like you, you, you found a place in your life where the, the, the focus was singular. There was nothing else outside of that goal. I'm going to sing again. There was nothing else outside of his goal. I'm going to see my family again. I don't, you know, like the, the only reservoir of fuel that he had was the family. The only reservoir of fuel you had singular focus is, you know, no, you're not, I'm not going to listen to you. You're going to tell me I'm not going to sing again or talk again or whatever. No, I'm going to sing again. I I love that. I love that determination. that That was one. Yeah, that was one piece of that puzzle because I have pregnant wife and a three-year-old. So there was yeah. definitely the, I want to be with this family. I need to be there. I'm the guy who's, you know, I'm the dad, and I need to be there for, to watch, uh, to, to, to raise these kids and be there with my partner. So the family piece was pretty big. But I would, <laughs> that was a huge catalyst as well. But the, the overall mission really came to me when I went away to a positive mental seminar in the middle of this whole thing. So just, I guess I need to backtrack quickly. You know, I came back to LA in the later nineties. I opened up an old cinema in LA that was boarded up and I ran silent movies for six years. Craziest story ever. I never, I know ne- I'm not even a movie guy, but I ran silent films, you know, Chaplin, and all that stuff with a live musician yeah. in LA for six years. And it was in that theater that I got the diagnosis that I found out that I had a tumor in my jaw. And then I, quit the theater thing and just had to focus on surviving this whole thing. And it was really halfway through the chemo experience that I went away to a positive mental seminar by a very famous guy who had been teaching a positive mental attitude combined with hope, spirit, you know, faith, all that will actually turn your health situation around. Like he was like, it worked. It's a done deal. You just have to do the exercises and start to turn the way you look at life in a different direction. And it should, needs to be a positive one. Now, everybody says, oh, just be positive. You know, when I was ill the first month, people come up and say, well, you just need to be positive. I'd like, get out of my face. <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. Easy for you to say, you know, like it was, I was going through those feelings, denial, anger, depression all these things were happening in that situation. There was still a line of hope that always ran through me. Otherwise, you know, you give up. Yeah. So there, that, that was always there. And that again came from the earliest threads out of my parents and all the things that I've experienced in my life. But this guy taught us all these positive ideas. And I got so amped up on seeing life from a different point of view. Give us an example, Charlie. Give, give, give us an example of some of the stuff he shared with you. Oh, well, here's one that's really incredibly intense. Um, he had us write the story of our death. Write the story of how you die. In other words, choose how you die, when you die, where are you, what are you doing, who are you with, and write it like a journal entry. I was like, that's so morbid. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can relate. Yeah. I think I, I, I'm not sure I should have come to this positive mental stuff. Um, how am I supposed to get hope out of writing my death and my obituary and how it happened? You know what? It was so empowering. It was so empowering because now you're you're writing your story. 
you're putting it out there. I'm 88 years old. I'm in Europe. I'm in a beautiful house. I have my children, my grandchildren, my great grandchildren all around me. You know, um, we have this amazing celebration on my birthday, May 8th. I'm 88. And then I, I, I go upstairs. I make love to my wife. I drink a cup of tea. I go to bed and I die. <laughs> not bad, right? No, not, not bad, bad at all. Like Sounds like a pretty good so day. Of course, my wife, recently, my wife even said, remember that whole thing you wrote about that 88 years old? Well, what if you get to 88 and you don't want to go? I said, well, then I'll rewrite my, it's no big deal, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, here, here's kind of like a bottom line statement I'd love to share. Look, and it's in man's search for meaning. It's, it's, it's the key, you know, if you know why, then how is not difficult. Then you just get it done. But you got to know the why. Why are you here? What is this all about? When you find that why, truly land with it, then the how is paved in gold. Go ahead. Now you got to work for it. It doesn't just happen for you. So when I was at that seminar, I woke up in the middle of the night at like 1 a.m. I couldn't sleep because I was so pumped up on all this positive stuff. And I walked down this path that leads to the monastery. This was on the grounds of, I think it's called Santa Maria. It's in Montecito, California. And it's this monastery. They just happened to do it on the grounds of this monastery. Um, and I, and I, I, I see this, the, the huge like iron gates that go into, I mean, iron doors that go into the church. Now, I'm not like a religious guy. I, I grew up Jewish. I love Buddha. I guess they call me a Jubu. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I'm into like all these different things. And so I opened the door, I creaked the door open, there was light beaming out of it. And there's candles lit all over this magnificent church. And I walk in and, and there in front of me cut out of wood is Jesus on the cross. Okay. Now, again, I'm not like a very religious person, but I love just about every prophet that ever came through this world. I just think that it's all about love, connection to humanity, spirit compassion, empathy. So that's what all those guys are preaching and girls. There's, you know, <laughs> I, I love that stuff. So there he is in front of me. And I'm like, wow. Okay. Wait a minute. You have a message for me. I know that you woke me up at 1am to come in here because you have a message for me. And I'm still looking for the why. See, I'm now six months into chemo and all this stuff's happening. I'm still looking for the why. Apparently, at least the way I saw it, being with family and wanting to sing again was not enough. At least that's what I felt. Like there has to be something bigger. Like, so why am I going through this whole thing? So I'm standing in front of this, this sculpture. Again, it's 30 by 40 feet. It's, it's monstrous, hugest Jesus sculpture I've ever seen. And I said, okay, man, I am ready. I'm ready. Tell me. Give me your message. I'm ready to receive. And I wait, and I wait, and I get nothing. And I'm like, wait a minute, that just can't be. I know that there's something here. I will take another few minutes and I'll wait. You have something for me. I know you do. This whole thing has led up to this moment right now here. My whole life has led up to this moment in front of you in this monastery in California on planet Earth. Tell me. I'm ready to receive. I get nothing. Okay. <laughs> so now I'm frustrated. But I'm at a positive mental seminar where they were just teaching me in all your deepest frustrations, look for the sign. If you could just take one deep breath in the middle of all this deep frustration, you will see the sign that will lead you out of that and into something beautiful. So I'm like, 
following the, the, you know, what they told me. And I'm looking right in front of me with my hands. I'm like pointing, like it's right in front of me. I know it's there. And I look and there's this piece of furniture with a blanket over it right under the feet of the Jesus sculpture. And I lift off the blanket. It's a piano. <laughs> I'm like, all of a sudden, there I am at Dodger Stadium with 50,000 people, you know? It's like, there it is, you know? Jump on top of it and start hitting baseballs. No. <laughs> I sit down at the piano, and out comes almost everyone I've known. Been afraid of the call. And my phone rings, and it tells me it's all going to change. So I listen to the doctor, but I don't hear anymore. As he tries to explain, I'm standing, unable to move, because the moment that he told me, it felt like someone shot me, frozen like a snowman in the cold. And when I put the phone down, I felt my body trembling, thinking, is this really happening to me? Now, I jump back from the piano like, what was that? Like, I don't write like that, okay? I mean, I write lyrics, it takes me days. And then I throw them away, I do them again, I do them again. I'm like so OCD, whatever. And and this just came right out. Lyrics, music. I mean, I looked up wow. at them, I'm like, you're good. This is great. <laughs> I run back to my little room. Look, so I run back to my little room, okay? And, I, and I'm like, God. God, okay, look, I know it's been like what, 20 years since we've really been in touch. I mean, I, I, here and there, but really we don't have, can we talk? And he, and he, I hear this voice like, isn't it a little late? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like wait a minute, aren't you open 24-7? What do you mean, <laughs> is it late? Like, I didn't get that. And I'm like, look, I know the why. I've got the why. Got it. He's like, really? Okay. What's the why? I'm going to write an entire collection of songs about what this entire journey I'm on is about. Everything that's happened to me from the phone call to the surgeries, through through my chemo, and then out on the other side, better than I was before I started. And I'm going to take those songs and I am going to bring it to the people. I am going to help people feel better. I'm going to go to hospitals. I'm going to go to, to, to survivor events. I'm going to do anything and everything I can to bring this music to those who need it. Can I stay longer? And there's this silence. And I'm like, good, good, good. They're, he's taking a meeting, you know? <laughs> right? And then I hear, I, I like that. I like that, Charlie. I'm going to let you stay longer. You better do it, though. I'm going to be watching you. I'm like, I will. I'm going to do it. Well, 11 years I've been on the road singing at hospitals, conferences, symposiums. Cancer Survivor Days, I go room to room, one-on-one -on -one with people, with my painted love guitar and my radiated superhero suit. <laughs> this, like, white suit with a radiation symbol on my chest just to make people laugh, you know? Yeah. And that's been the why. I found my why. So how? Well, I've been doing the how, you know? And my whole goal is to bring hope, humor, you know, just to make people feel truly that today is another beautiful day, that it's all about this moment. I know, again, big cliche, like, live in the moment, carpe diem. Yeah, you're damn right. Damn right it's a cliche. It's the greatest cliche ever. It's the one that I put out there as much as I can. 
this is your moment. It's not about how much time we have on this planet. It's what we do with the time we have. And if yeah. you can find the why you're here deeply, then the how is, is, is totally doable, man. Mm-hmm. And you get to actually do some things that you love to do and make a difference on the planet while you're here. Yeah. I think that's incredible, Charlie. And, and a point that I want to uh, emphasize is that if someone is needing to find a why, I think it's such a great place to start with is with what you can do for others, right? I think so many people get, get lost in themselves and thinking about themselves and, and it's easy to get carried away. But when, but when you start to look at others and, and see what you have to offer, I think uh, things make a lot more sense. And I think nothing truly feels as good as when you're giving to other people. So I think if you're looking for a place to start, then, then see what you can provide for others to make their lives easier. Cause, cause everybody's, everybody's having a tough time, right? And you, it's, it's easy to, to assume that people are having amazing lives and, uh, you know, wh- whatever they post on social media, they're just so happy, but everyone's having a tough time. So if people need help, I think uh, yep. you can start to look at what you can do for other people. Yeah. When that happened, yeah. when you, so the piano at the foot of Jesus, you got, you know, you uncover it, the song comes to you. Did you have your prosthesis then? Did you, I mean, were you aware that you were going to even be able to sing? Cause I think you said you're six months into your chemo you know, had, had you had surgery yet? So like, what was your status with regard to singing at that time? Yeah, I, they had the surgery first and, um, what they usually do in a situation like mine, I had a sarcoma, uh, they usually nuke you and reduce the tumor and then they do the surgery and then they nuke you again. Okay. But in my case, they felt that they could get it without the tumor and I'm done because it was isolated. So what happened was they, when they did the surgery, they realized that it was moving across to the other side of my jaw and it was a high grade, uh, which meant chemo. And, you know, I, I, I was like, I couldn't speak, but I wrote on a piece of paper, like high grade. I didn't even get high grades at school. You can't do this to me now. You know, was, this is like, not no. where I want to get high grades. Exactly. Wrong spot. But, um, I, I, it, it so I had the surgery and then I started to see, you know, the sculptors at UCLA in LA is where I went. And they said, we'll be able to make an obturator a prosthesis or whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, like a peg leg prosthesis for the job and put teeth in there and, and mold it. And you've got a few teeth left on the top that we saved that didn't go in there. And we're just going to latch onto that. And so they gave me like these temporaries because you can't, put the final in until the chemo's gone and your whole body kind of chills out and then they can fit these things. So I went through multiple ones. It started with just a plate in my face. And here's the story that I really love to share. In between the two surgeries, I had to do it twice because it moved to the other side of my jaw, which is the biggest shock of all. They did this whole surgery. It took 14 hours. I mean, they sawed off half my jaw. The recovery was insane. Um, They had to do it all over again. So that, that was like mind boggling to me, but in between the two surgeries, which was 10 days. Okay. And I stayed at the hotel because my three-year-old was going crazy and I, I I was bleeding. I mean, it was just insane. So I stayed at the hotel and at the hotel prior to the, prior to being diagnosed, I already started writing an album for my three-year-old son, Shia called Shia. And I was in the recording studio. And the craziest thing was when I found out I had this tumor and they're going to cut off my jaw, I had not done the vocals on the album yet. So in three days, I sang the entire album. Okay. And it was, to me, looking back now, 
best vocal performance of my life. Gee, I wonder why I may not ever sing again. You better give it everything you got, right? Wow. <laughs> this, this is your last call, man, right? So in the middle of this, this surgery thing, I decide, because I, I had finished all the vocals on the record. We haven't mixed the record yet. I decide, wait a minute, I have one more song to sing. Okay? I have another song. It's called That's What You Love. Okay, that's what you love, pizza pie and mac and cheese, anything that's sweet and free. I have this song about every single thing that Shia loves. And I had it in the back of my head for the year, but I never got to it. And here I am, I've got a plate in my jaw, I'm bleeding. I mean, like, I have to have my head back and put gauze and stuff. It was insane. And I turn to my wife and I say, I want to go to the studio. <laughs> She's like, what? What are you talking about? I, I, I have another song. She's like, are you out of your mind? I said, uh-huh. And I'm going <laughs> to do it. And she's like, what? I'm like, go to the phone. So I call up the engineer. Now, this is the guy who, when I got diagnosed, he was the engineer. I got the call in the studio. I got the call from the doctor in the studio, in the booth, while singing the Shire record. Okay? And, and, and. I get the call. I look at him through the glass and he's like, are you okay? I said, I have cancer. And you know what he said to me? He said, does that mean the session's over today? (laughs) (laughs) I love that line. So many serial things. I'm like, yes, Chris, the session's over for today. I'm going to die. You know, like it it was just the craziest thing. Anyway, so I called this guy, Chris, like, hi, Chris, it's Charlie. He's like, oh man, aren't you like in the hospital or something? I'm like, no, I'm in a hotel. And I want to do this, another song. He's like, uh, 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 really? Uh, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm coming over. Could you have time tomorrow? He's like, I, I, I guess so. I go to the studio. He opens the door. He's flush white. I'm bleeding. And I'm like, get me on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I get on the mic and I sing four background vocals. I do the lead like 10 times. I play the guitar parts, all the piano, and I leave. Okay? Now, when you listen to this record and you hear this song, that's what you love. Everybody says, that's my favorite song on the album. That song is so cool. And the vocal is so unique. It's so different from the rest. I'm like, yeah, it's called a plate <laughs> drilled in my face with blood dripping. You know, but what the a point memory I'm making here is it didn't stop me from doing what I love from pu- pushing forward and doing these like the, 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 the resilience and my constitution and like, this is what I'm not going to let this stop me from doing what I love to do. I love what that. Moves me and what I love that. Me. And that was just a big, that was one of those big moments that kept this thing rolling for me as I went through that chemo and everything. So, I mean, I came home from that positive mental seminar and went to my support group and they kicked me out for being too supportive. Okay. <laughs> you had too much enthusiasm, like, too I much was, optimism, too much I hope. I was so excited. I was so excited. I mean, I went into chemo. I, I, I did a funny thing. I, I wore a cape and I had a shirt that said chemo man. And I ran into chemo with the, with the cape waving behind me. And I'm like, chemo man has arrived, you know? <laughs> and the nurses look at each other. They're like, oh God, how long is he going to be here? Another five months? Jeez. Okay. This guy, you know, but everybody in the room was like laughing. And smiling, and I was like, "This is this is it. I'm just going to infect people with humor and positivity 
And that's what just started to guide me through. All my side effects disappeared. I was feeling great. They were hitting me with the chemo. She would bring me my adromycin, which is red, very red. And the nurse would check my arm, my, you know, the band and see that it's me. I'm like, it's still me, you know. And she's giving me this, this red chemo. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you have to take that back. She's like, what? I'm like, I don't drink Merlot. Bring me a Cabernet. <laughs> so it was all jokes and jokes and jokes. Humor and, humor and funny. And and, uh, yes. And it led me out. It led me right out of it. I, I recovered. I got a new prosthetic jaw, which was better than the one I, I mean, than the one I had before I got sick, better than the normal jaw I had. Why? It was like this beautiful amphitheater. I had perfect teeth before I had chipped teeth and they were kind of yellow. Now I've got like the James Caan smile. You know, I got the perfect (laughs) smile and a great amphitheater and nothing, like nothing and no one could chip away at my positivity, you know? I love that. I love that. And there were people who would you know, there are people who come at you and be like, oh, this or oh, that. And I'm like, no, man, I, this, <laughs> I'm just I'm flying, baby. <laughs> I'm flying. And I just took that all the way into the 10 years of traveling around this country and doing this work. It's, it was just it's been nonstop. How many hospitals do you think you visited? Until the pandemic. Yeah, I was just going to say that. You know, it's funny. Gavin mentioned that last night when we were watching the video. He immediately had empathy for your cause because he wondered whether or not, like, this is what you've been doing. And then all of a sudden, the, the pandemic's here. So I want to get to that question in just a, in just a moment. But how many hospitals sure. have you visited sure. in the last 11 years? And how many people do you think you've been in front of showing that enthusiasm, showing that humor, showing your talent with your singing, etc.? Uh, approximately 150, I would say. And, um, 150 hospitals. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Worldwide. Wow. And tens, tens of thousands of people, I would guess. I mean, yeah, tens of thousands. I may have hit a hundred thousand personally, directly. Um, it was, it's been very challenging as far as just that whole world of the healthcare and the hospitals and the HIPAA laws and, no, we're not letting this guy with a guitar come into our hospital thing and, you know, all that kind of stuff that you, I mean, it's, it's trailblazing. No one does that. I mean, there's touring nurses, you know, there's traveling nurses. Well, there's no traveling musicians that go into hospitals. There's nobody else on the planet Earth that I found that's been able to do it. But I built it slowly and, and I, I had to build trust. I mean, my first year, I really had a lot of challenges because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I knew what yeah. I wanted to do, but, but you're, you're, you're walking into a, a system that is very heavily, you know, guarded as it should be for the privacy rules and acts and laws and all that stuff. And then of course, just transmission, you know, just me coming in and singing, like, is this guy sick? You know, like all these, uh, there's so many factors in the job. Um, but I was able to build that trust. And of course, every testimonial from a hospital, from a nurse, from an administrator, from somebody helped me for the next one and the next one and the next one. And so I built this, this very long uh, line of, of testimonials yeah. that say this guy is really making a difference, not only to the patients, he's making a difference to the nurses because I stop at every nurse's station and I'm like, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. You know, like I, I you know, <laughs> do the, the, the nurse thing and sing a little Bill Withers, uh, you know, and just like make my way through a hospital from top to bottom. Usually it starts on the bottom. I work my way into the gift shop. I go into the pharmacy. 
you know, I, 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 I hit a janitor on the way down the hall with a song and I moved my way all the way to the top until I get to the CEO's office. And I always end with a song to the CEO, you know, because if you don't, if you don't sing for that guy, he may, you know, be like, who was that guy? What did you do? How did you let him in here? You know, that kind of thing. You gotta win You gotta win the, you gotta win the CEO over in order for you to, to, to stay. You really do really do. And so it's just, you make your way through this entire system and, and you just make people smile. That's the whole, that's the whole gig. So I want to talk about that just for a second, just just for a second. I want to, I want to know about, I'm, I mean, literally maybe touching the lives of a hundred thousand people, you know, let's just use that as the number. I mean, you've certainly, I feel like you're on the front lines of hope, you know, because you're, you're dealing with people that oftentimes I would imagine are struggling with hope because they've got potentially a diagnosis that could kill them. And so like, can you think of one or two profound stories that you've witnessed or been part of that really can help our listeners understand exactly why you continue to do this? Sure. Yeah. Um, I was in London at the Royal Marsden. Okay. It's one of the biggest cancer center hospitals in, in right in the center of London. And I remember I, I did my rounds and it was much more difficult, I would say, because it's very conservative, as you can like, imagine, you know, being the British is different from U.S. They could be a little stuffy occasionally. <laughs> Slightly, unless you have scones. If you hand out scones, <laughs> you're good. But um, I, I remember on my way out of the hospital after I spent a whole day there, um, a woman grabbed me as I was leaving, she, I'd seen her earlier in the day. And, um, and I, I remember singing for a whole room full of people sitting in their chairs in the infusion centers. And, um, I sing a song called chemo brain. That's my big song. Chemo brain, chemo brain. Oh, don't be mad at me. Cause baby, can't you see I'm not to blame. It's chemo brain. That's my <laughs> chorus for chemo brain. You know, you go in and you sing chemo brain in an infusion center, it just goes over really well. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, um, I'm on my way out, and she grabs me by the arm, and she looks at me, and she's like, I just want you to know something. They're giving me, like, three months to live, but you changed my life today, and I know I'm going longer, and it's because of you. Thank you. Wow. Oh, Oh, man. Like, I walked out into the street, Okay, out of the hospital in the street, and I—it was like I was in another. I was somewhere else. You were floating. You weren't like, walking. You were floating. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this, this is, yeah, this is. I'm doing the right thing, man. I'm doing the right thing. So I floated right into a pub, and I <laughs> had a, and I had a pint, and I'll tell you that beer. I've never tasted anything like that before. It just was like I was drinking, like the the, the air of heaven on earth or something. I, I was just floating because of what she had shared with me and made me realize, like, okay, I'm on, I'm, I'm doing something, I'm doing the right thing here, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was I, like the perfect I intersection. I, the right I feel like it's the perfect you know, you intersection of you your know. of your purpose with with a mission with serving others. It was like the, the I feel like the the universe collided in a, in a perfect moment to say you are exactly yeah. where you need to be right now at this yeah. moment at this time. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I would say years later, somewhere, maybe four or five years ago, I was at uh, one of the biggest hospitals in uh, in St. Louis. I forgot the name of the hospital. It was just humongous. It's like the size of the city. This is the hospital. And I remember going into this uh, room. I was doing room to room, and I went into a room, and there was a teenage kid tied to the bottle sitting on the bed. And on the other side of the room were his friends, and they were all on their iPhones, iMacs, iPods, whatever I <laughs> <laughs> and and they and I walk in with my love guitar and I'm dressed in my white suit and the kid looks at me and like who are you why are you here now he was I could he was really upset and rightfully so a teenager tied to a bottle of chemo in the hospital is just a drag okay so I'm like hey I'm here I'm here to sing a song for you and he's like I don't think so and his friends on the other side of the room look at me like we don't so you know <laughs> they were just like get out you know and i'm like i'm like look man um how long have you how long have you been you know in chemo and he looks at me he's like this is my first day oh, man. and i'm like oh so then you need a recovery song and i just break into this i finished what they said i had to do right before my life turned 42 they said that I was clean and clear to go back to the outside world I used to know. But I can't, I can't go back to what I was because I'm somebody new. Because when this happened to me, I was, I see the situation so differently and I'm, I'm blinded, I'm blinded home to you as somebody new. Funny one lot of paint can give a whole new meaning to the life we live. Yes, I appreciate the life I've got. So I plan to live it and to love a lot. So I can't return and be an ungrateful man. Because I'm somebody new. Because <laughs> after everything we've been through, we see the planet from a different view. So I'm gliding, I'm sliding. Oh, 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 somebody new. So I finished that song, and by the time I finished that song, those boys slid over with their friends, and they're like snapping together, doo -doo, doo -doo 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 -doo. <laughs> and they've got their iPhones recording me, and they're and they're like like totally in it, right? And I said, hey man, you know, take care of yourself, all right? Take it one step at a time, one day at a time, you know. And I just walk out, and I can hear them like, I was not, I know, let them in the building, I don't know, you know. And that was, again, a flip it moment. Like, I was able to flip it over on them. And I just want to share this quickly with you. The flip it is something I've been creating and dealing with and sharing and everything. The flip is about you've got to let yourself feel how you feel. You've got to let yourself feel those things. You can't deny the feelings that you have. Whatever you're going through, allow yourself the time to feel it. Depression, anger, whatever it is, be in it. Take the time. Find a corner. Breathe. Be in it. But when you get tired of that, okay, that time comes where you're just burned out on all those feelings, that's the flip it moment. So what is the flip? The flip is take what all those feelings are, the negative things that you've been seeing in your head, and look at what's the polar opposite. Totally go the other direction. Now, in my case, early on, I was afraid of dying and leaving my family, and I was in fear of all of that. So what's the opposite for that for me? It's living it like I've never lived before, having the best time of my life with my family, 
And so what does that look like in your mind? Well, you got to run like a movie. No still photography, no freeze frame. See it in your mind, okay? But I started using a flip idea when I got down to the bottom and I was burned out after I allowed myself to feel everything. I burned out. I flipped it over. And for me, it was like, we're going to be in Hawaii. We're going to, you know, go and surfing with my kids. I'm drinking a Mai Tai under a tree, hanging out with my wife. You know, I see these things and my body, blood, everything, cells started to change. And I was feeling good you know, I mean, I did that in chemo until the nurse hit me on the shoulder and said, are you OK? I'm like, yes, I'm OK. I was in Hawaii. You just ruined Thank my you. moment. I was in Hawaii. <laughs> like, you know, she was like, oh, boy, I think we got to take him off the drugs. He's losing. <laughs> no. But, you know, uh, that is called a flip. And I just wanted to share that with you and everyone out there, that that flip really works. Even if you do it for five minutes, he what it is that you love to do, what would make you feel good. See it like a movie, and all of a sudden you're going to see a little bit of a shift, and it really works. So I agree with you. Flip it, I love it. I've Not never flipped homes. No flipping homes on that one. I know exactly what you're talking about, okay. and I, I can I can relate yeah. to it. Here, here's, here's a smaller example of that. So our 16-year-old son on Monday, this past Monday, was supposed to take his driver's test. And so we arrive, you know, like he, he's been jonesing. He was supposed to take it like two and a half months ago, but then COVID hit and everything got pushed back and canceled and right. all that other stuff. So he'd, he'd, he'd hit a few obstacles and roadblocks, but you know, we'd gone the day before I'd taken him all around the town driven. Like he was prepared. He was ready. We arrive at the appointment. They, and obviously he's got a little nerves going into this, but we, we walk up that they're right. not taken in, in the building, you know, greetings. It's all outside. So we're waiting around for 10, 12 minutes outside. We finally get helped and, uh, they take his temperature. Well, we've just been standing outside. It's 97 degrees for like 12 minutes. They, they shoot his head. Well, your temperature is a little elevated. And they said, we're going to let you go in, but we're going to reshoot your temperature in a few minutes. And literally three, four minutes later, they do it again, and it's still elevated. And they say he's disqualified from being able to take the test today ah. because he's got an elevated temperature. So I, as his dad, I, you know, I try to solve problems with being nice and then being sweet. And then, you know, I'm like, I'm frustrated, obviously. And so nothing I said was going to change the situation. So they rescheduled him out for two weeks. And so I'm sitting here talking to him. I said, bud. I said, whenever you experience, you know, frustration like this, disappointment like this, uh, you know, uh, a letdown like this, you need to see the opposite side of it. What if this delay saved your life? What if it prevented you from being in an accident? What if it prevented you from X, Y, Z? And and I said, you know, whenever you encounter something like that, that's an extreme disappointment, imagine the opposite side of it being a total benefit to you, and it'll help you to move past it. It'll help you to get through it. And so I think that's a mini example of what you're talking about, which is a flip it moment. There it is. And you could flip it anytime, anywhere, anytime, anywhere. That's what's so powerful about it. You just need to close your eyes, take a moment, you know, let those around you like, excuse me, I'm taking five, you know, <laughs> and you just do, and you just do the flip. But remember a really important part of that flip is if you're still in a feeling of anger, frustration, all those things, you have to allow that to run its course. Yeah, it's okay to very feel hard that. To flip. Yeah. It's hard, very hard to flip when you're pissed off, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, Charlie, as we... Uh, you got to kind of come down, yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, as we close out uh, the, the show today, number one, you've been just a phenomenal guest, and, and I want to thank you for your positivity and for your enthusiasm and for what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. But, you know, I, I imagine somebody out there right now feeling anxious, feeling worried, feeling upset or nervous. Maybe they're fearful of, you know, the job situation. Maybe they're fearful of the medical situation. But, you know, right now in the midst of COVID, I just think that there's a lot of opportunities for people to have anxiety. So what would you say to somebody? I mean, being what you've been through, what you've done for the last 10 years, what encouragement, what would you say to somebody that may be feeling anxious right now with all of the uncertainty in the world? You know, what would you want to say to them? Yeah, I would say, do what you love and love what you do. You got to love all you can. I'm waiting for you. Do what you love. There's no other way. Don't be afraid. Just take every day and do what you love. So don't wait for the light to change or something strange to happen to us all. Because this is the time to take control and do what you love. Love what you do. You got to love, love all you can. Just it's all up to you. Do what you love. There's no other way. And don't be afraid. Just take every day and do what you love. Oh, yay. That was awesome. Yes. So good. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, Yeah, we, we, we loved it. Your message, your hope, like you're out there on the front lines serving up hope to people. And we're all about that. We are here for it. Hey, Charlie, I know you're going to continue to <laughs> do this. Know. I know you're going to continue yeah, to do man. this, but keep singing, all right? Because yes. it makes us smile we're ear to just, ear yes. the whole time. I know you can't see us, but I just want you to know we're uh, we're having a good time. We were smiling and dancing. Thank you. So it was right good. On. I'm, uh, hey, anytime you want to connect again, I'm, I'm right here. Okay. Right can, here. Wait, wait, wait. Can you sing Benny and the Jets? <laughs> <laughs> Betty and the Jets. That's the best I could give you for Betty and the Jets, man. You know? oh. That was so good. We I, might have to. We might get copyrighted for that. Yeah. Exactly I, I, I oh, am, no, no, no. I think it's ten seconds. If you get more than ten seconds, so we're oh, good. I, I'm a big Elton John fan. So I, you had me at Elton John. I was actually able to see Elton John and Billy Joel do the dual piano concert here in Sacramento. So oh, it was oh, amazing. I saw that one too. That was amazing yeah you know they're, they've been heroes for me wonder if we can get them on the hope radio podcast no we should try <laughs> thank you charlie no, thank you so much no, hey you know yoda there is no try do or do not that yes. is right i, I am i am for that i love star wars and i love yoda <laughs> thank right you on. thank you, you so much take care you be too safe, be well you as well all right, you two, what did you think about our interview with Charlie? Gavin, you go first. I think it was amazing. I think he touched on some amazing points. I just want to say, I think music deserves more attention. For me personally, in my life, I, it has helped me get out of my own head. I'm a bit, hub, a, um, excuse me. <laughs> I'm a habitual overthinker, right? Sometimes it serves me well. Other times, most times, it doesn't. So to get out of my own head, it's amazing to listen to other people's experiences and how they see their life. And I think he's uh, right right on the money with that in uh, making that his mission. 
Yeah. I think he, I think lifting people and, and, and just pouring into them and mm-hmm. being a light and being funny and being humorous and being goofy. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that though, that he found his why in the midst of one of the darkest periods of his life. Mm-hmm. Like it had taken him going through that to find his why. But when he connected with his why, oh my gosh, yeah. his passion for it. I mean, how many countries has he been to? How many hospitals? How many people has he visited? And that's got to be tough. You know, getting getting in with people that are facing their own mortality and doing that day to day every single day. Yeah. It's got to be tough, man. I applaud him. I thought it was fascinating. I thought he had a great, great point. Love the flip it point. Yeah, I, do, I did too. Yeah. I loved his do what you, do what you love, love what you do. Yeah. Do song, what you love. His custom song. Love what you do. Yeah, because I mean, that is... The story of life. If you're not yeah. doing what you love and you're not loving what you're doing, then what are you doing here? Find your purpose. Find your why. Yeah. Flip when, it. When he was sharing about the uh, the teenager that was in the hospital mm-hmm. and how he had that kind of flip it moment. Yeah. And the woman who had uh, been given three months to live and she had her flip it moment. He mm-hmm. helped her to see that flip it moment. Yeah. I have no doubt that that was the vision he saw when he when he saw that piano in the church, right? Yeah. So it's it's kind of this uh, this completion of his of his journey, right? He, he sees this little nugget of what his future can be and he achieves it. And I want to challenge everybody on their version of success because I think that's it, right? I think we yeah. live in the, in the Western world. Things get a little bit skewed. Maybe you uh, have a false ideologies of what success can be but I think that's it right there I think Mm -hmm. he has achieved success doing what you love pouring into other people being a light you know that that to me regardless of how much money he makes I mean that was one of my questions like how is he funded like how does he how does he do this in his life you know what I mean but like we didn't we didn't get a chance but like it doesn't really matter like I know he's doing it he's consistently done it and the only thing that stopped him I guess has been COVID you know, because now yeah, you can't exactly. go in, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah. and we, we didn't get a chance to, uh, to talk about that either. We're just going to have to have him on again. Yeah. I think when he was explaining his whole flip it thing, yeah, it totally reminded me of you Yeah, because you have been teaching our kids how to flip it for, since they were like newborns, because your phrase instead of flip it is change your face. <laughs> <laughs> so when he was thinking flip it, I'm like, oh yeah, change your face. <laughs> I think everybody needs a, a short, concise, sweet, straight to the point phrase. <laughs> Yeah, it just helps them get through their day. Sean's well, was change your face. Mine was three words. Yeah, change your <laughs> face. What you got going on in your face right now isn't working for me. So you better change it. You better do the opposite of what you're doing right now. Change <laughs> your face. All right, pop quiz, guys. How well do you know Gavin? What is my phrase? Um, just be cool. Just be cool. Yes, oh. sir. <laughs> just like, oh, be man. cool. Another three word just phrase. Be cool. Just be cool. I was going to say that. Three, three is the max. I was yeah. going to say yes, man. You're the yes man. I like saying yes. Yeah. Uh, you okay. went through a phase okay. where you only would say yes. Mm. Here, here's here's <laughs> here's the reasoning behind that. All right, seeking seeking discomfort. Yes. So that often is saying yes to mm-hmm. to situations, opportunities that you would normally say no to because they make you uncomfortable. Well, when you're seeking discomfort, you end up saying yes. So I'm the yes girl because I'm uncomfortable every single time I'm on this podcast. Hey, hey, you know I'm what? I'm the yes girl. I understand it, right? <laughs> yeah. So I've been editing the podcast and uh, maybe I've been a bit too harsh on them because it is not easy. Yeah. Are it's you going to edit these- your little uh, what you just did? What do you mean? I don't know. You said something wrong. You were trying to say. Oh, no, I think it's perfect. Okay. (laughs) I think I have strived for perfection for too long and I will embrace uh, anything less than perfection. I have a question. Yes. Do you have to edit me a lot? You know. 
Oh, yes. What? You win. Yes. Are you saying you got to edit me? Yeah. Oh, because my I gosh. don't talk that much. <laughs> yeah, you are our. What, what did we call you yesterday? You are our. Uh, I am a professional listener no. of the podcast with a voice. You, you're a, you are our listener with a voice. I'm a professional listener. We didn't say professional. You're well, just a listener with a voice. Well, now I want to be the professional one. Oh, looking okay. at you creating your own I titles. call the shots. Wow. Change your face. What? <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. All right. All right. So how do people get more of this hilarity if they want it? Well, you can tune into us on wherever you get your podcast. Wherever you consume podcasts. Yes. If yes. you consume a podcast on your phone or on SoundCloud or on We're Amazon everywhere. Alexa, we're at just Hope Radio Podcast. Now I have a question. Yes. All right. Do what is your question? Do podcasts contain any calories? No. They're really? calorie free. Wow. They're calorie free. Get a load of that, guys. You can consume <gasps> with no guilt. It's like drinking water. It is. I love it. And then how do people connect with us if they want to, you know, send us a guest or communicate with us? We are on the socials on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Radio Podcast. We would love to sit down and have a little talk with you. Yes, absolutely. Reach out to us. Special thanks to our guest host today, Mr. Gavin Davis, our son. I think you did a fabulous job. Thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Look forward to having you again. You should come back tomorrow. Oh, boy. Because I know Sean's going to tell me right now we have another one tomorrow. You know what, Jennifer? Guess what? 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 We've got another podcast tomorrow. We're going to do it again. Yay. One more time. What What was I just saying about? Yes. uh, One more time. One more time. I'm I'm always right.